0: into the harvest friends we are here to bring you the confidence and clarity you need to be a disciple and make disciples in the everyday places of life i'm abigail wilson
1: i'm andrew stroud
0: and we are here today to bring you one of the first of hopefully many book review book chats it's like the into the harvest book club essentially um it's the first one that we've done so we're excited about it and we're going to be talking about the book by francis chan letters to the church it's probably backwards. I <laughs> here we both are. Um, and we do not have Keith with us because, unfortunately, he did not read the book. So, wah, wah. So you just got Andrew and I. But first, before we get into that, Andrew, what are our announcements this week?
1: Yes. Um, one is the Harvest Highlights email we've been encouraging folks to sign up for. Um, if you have not signed up for that yet, we would encourage you to visit our website, org slash newsletter. And when you do, when you enter your email there, Every Sunday, you're going to get a short email with the best content and resources we've come across over the past week that will help you be a disciple and make disciples. So definitely visit the website, sign up for that email. And then secondly, Abigail, we're here again. We're, we're asking folks to uh, visit us over on iTunes and rate the show, which means hopefully five stars. If this has been uh, a show that's encouraged you in your faith, or that, or even if you just see like, hey, these guys are trying the best they can. I'm not always encouraged, but I value what they're trying to do here wow, in terms of being low. a voice uh, mm-hmm. for for practical faith in the 21st century, and I want to help them get the word out. The easiest, simplest way that you can do that is to go to iTunes and leave us a nice rating, five stars, hopefully, but also a review if you can take a few a few moments just to leave a sentence or two of what you appreciate about the show. Um, that goes a long way towards helping us get the word out to others about what we're trying to do here with Into the Harvest. So that's all I have for um, housekeeping notes today, Abby.
0: Okay, great. And I love that you just set the bar super low. Hey, they're trying. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all well, we're asking that you acknowledge today.
1: <laughs> even <laughs> if, trying. even if, hopefully it's more than that, but even if that's all you can say for us, oh, <laughs> then, uh, wow.
0: Yeah. All right. So that's the bar we're going to try to jump over today. Um, We're going to talk about Francis Chan's book, which I think was way above the bar. So he definitely did more than just try on this book. Um, If you remember and listened to our end of December, I believe, episode where we talked about some of our favorite resources from the year. um, This was a book that I read in 2019. And then Andrew read it um, a little bit later he came up with the idea for this podcast. And of course I had to reread the book because (sighs) I'm a mom and my mom brain was like done with the book. And so I knew it was good, but I couldn't talk about it. So I've now read it twice and I'm pretty excited about talking about it today. Um, we're going to kind of break this up into three sections, um, sort of how I read the book, um, which was what stuck out to me for my personal ministry and just how it shifted my own thinking a little bit, um, how, um, I saw this book impact our personal ministry here in San Antonio, how it challenged that. And then also how it challenged and really spoke to, um, the way churches today, big C. So, um, that's kind of how we're going to flow with today's conversation. If you have not read this book, please do not use this as an excuse to not read it. You should go and read it. And we hope that this is just a really good long trailer for the book because it really is pretty great. And Andrew read it and being the true nerd that he is, he's all in and he's going <laughs> to, um, what I guess, what's it called, Andrew? What's the a
1: book called? summary? You see, now, Abby's she's diming me out here. I just started doing this, but yes, I've got a book summary for uh, Letters.
0: It's really great. I'm going to make you share about this at another time because we don't have time today. But friends, just know the nerd in me was like, that's really nerdy. And I also wanted to. <laughs> so I think we all should jump on Andrew's nerd train. Um, so we are both prepared and we're going to get into it now. Um, the, the cool thing also about this book um, is that Andrew is going to be going up to um, San Francisco area. Correct, Andrew? That's where it is. That's um,
1: right.
0: In a few weeks. And you will be...
1: Well, actually, Abigail, so this podcast is coming out Thursday, and I'll actually fly up to San Francisco Saturday. So I'll be going up this week. Cool. Yeah. But...
0: Yes, but. So um, Andrew's going to go and live the dream for me. Um, He's going to learn all the cool things. And then when he comes back, he and I are going to sit down for another conversation where I grill Andrew about all the cool stuff he learned to get the inside track. So this is really just the beginning of us talking about this book and kind of the ideas that Francis Chan gets into. So ready for part one, let's get started. Okay. So the first question is, what stuck out for you personally? What hit home the hardest for you? Do you want me to get started, Andrew, or do you want to go?
1: Yeah, why don't you jump in first?
0: Okay. (laughs) All right. So um, I think that one of the big things that hit home hard for me Um, which actually is great because this week, as you're listening to this on Thursday, on Monday, I um, wrote a blog article for our website about kids in church. And it was a really personal article, and I hope you'll read it um, because it really meant a lot to me. This is something that I really struggle with um, in doing Church in the Harvest. As a very type A person, um it's hard for me to deal with like the craziness that house church can be the unpredictability of it the non structure that it can kind of have even if you have structure so in chapter 8 of this book it's called unleashed and it talks about how our church has become like a zoo um and he talks about the movie Madagascar which if you haven't seen it it's about like a lion and a zebra and a hippopotamus i think um that are in a zoo, and then they're taken out of the zoo and in the wild. And these wild, powerful animals literally do not know how to survive on their own. Like they've had food given to them. They've had everything kind of coddled and brought to them. And so they, they are basically without any strength or power to survive. And so this talks about how really today's church has become that way, that we have lost our wild aspect. Um, Mm -hmm. This was great and comforting to me personally, because I'm constantly trying to get us to be more structured and less wild. And it was very helpful for me personally to be like, no, we should be more wild and crazy. I actually underlined, I think it said something like, your gatherings should be wild. And I thought, my oh, <laughs> goodness, someone's telling me that they should actually be wild and crazy because they definitely are. Um, this section also talks about unleashing our children and al- allowing them a voice and a place in church. That also is very much happening in our church. So it was just nice and encouraging to see that. I'm sorry about the lawn noise happening in the background. Okay, Andrew, why don't you talk for a minute?
1: Yeah, so I actually can't hear the lawn noise. So hopefully okay, yeah. it, I did earlier, but I couldn't hear it uh, just when you were saying that section was great. And we had one of the most, I would say one of the most chaotic gatherings in, in our Harvest Church yesterday. Um, so it is um, it is kind of encouraging. And I think it's true. And, and one thing that he said about that, that section, that chapter on Unleashed that you were just referring to, Abigail, was even though many of us who have come up in today's churches, which which are like that zoo in the movie Madagascar, that we've been domesticated as, as disciples and followers of Jesus where everything is just being spoon-fed to us and we've never learned how to really go out into the wild of the real world and, and just be there living and sharing our faith. Even though that's true, we are by nature... Um, we're bred for that. We're, we we know instinctively that that's where we should be. We should be out in the wild, that there's something not quite right about being in this, this really safe, comfortable, tidy, structured atmosphere that we've sort of reduced church to. Um, so, so I think that's part of what we've experienced in our own lives and part of why we're doing this ministry of into the harvest. It's also why we've, we've moved towards, um, this style of living our faith and sharing our faith in our own personal lives. For me, um, in in terms of what stood out to me personally, probably the biggest thing that stood out to me personally as a conviction was the importance of prayer. And especially for those of us who are making disciples and who are in uh, positions of influence and leadership within the church, we have to be praying. And I thought he did an amazing job of explaining why that's the case and and what's at stake if we aren't um, devoted to prayer as leaders and as disciple makers? Uh, one of the quotes that I took from the book is that uh, he wrote that pastors who are not drawn to prayer should not be pastors, um, and that it's in prayer that we seek the Lord and the welfare of our people. And um, I've had this this picture from the Old Testament, the um, the high priest with with and uh, back in Exodus when when Moses was making the high priestly garments, if you guys remember, it's, it's kind of hard to read because he's, he's painstakingly describing the robe and the ephod and all these different, the, the shoulder pieces. But the thing that stood out to me the most, Abigail, was that um, Aaron would have, the high priest would have these stones that sat on each shoulder. And on those stones were written um, the tribes of Israel. So there were six tribes and six tribes. And then over his heart, he had a breast piece, and there were rows of stones, uh, 12, 12 total stones. And on each stone was, again, uh, one of the tribes of Israel. And when God explains to Moses why he wants Aaron to be dressed that way, he describes it in, in an interesting way, that when Aaron draws into the presence of God, when he goes into the Holy of Holies, that he would, he would bear the the sons of Israel before the Lord in remembrance, that that it would be the high priest's job to, to bring the people into the presence of God and remind God of his promises to those people. And then later he said um, that he wanted the sons of Israel to be over Aaron's heart. And I thought it, it's such a beautiful picture of the importance of prayer, especially for those who are in positions of spiritual leadership, which is really just spiritual influence. If people are looking to you, for guidance and as as, an, as a model and as an example, then you are a spiritual leader. And we need to be praying for the people that we're trying to disciple. So personally, that was probably the biggest thing that stood out to me. That, that wasn't, I think, the main point of the book, but it was something that I definitely took away uh, from it.
0: No, I mean, I don't think it has to be the main point. I mean, mine wasn't either. So we're just giving you little snippets. The Andrew and Abigail favorite parts, so you'll have to read it yourself to get the main overview. We're not giving that to you, huh. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I really love that Andrew, and I think that that's a perfect like future gift to give our leaders is like make some little stones with our names on them and like put yeah. them on something and hand them over and be like carry me around like but, a but big old that fat a, weight.
1: Isn't that a cool <laughs> picture though? That, that it's
0: so cool that I Aaron love
1: it. he was simply carrying the people into the presence mm-hmm. of God. Yeah. These stones, and then also having them on his heart, and, and I think both that's of nice. those really capture the, the heart of prayer.
0: Yeah, that's really, really good. I love it. Um, it kind of by actually, the way, that's
1: that was my takeaway from the scripture. That was not chance right. in, in, in the book. His was. He had some other great thoughts on prayer,
0: Andrew. That's so typical. We're talking about someone else's book, and you gave your own <laughs> thoughts.
1: Well, I but didn't want people to cool. read the book and be They're disappointed good. that he doesn't tell you anything about Moses and, and Aaron, stones.
0: It's fine. It's fine. Well, we're going to get this whole book review business down. <laughs> okay. okay. So, Andrew, what stuck out to you the most regarding your own local ministry? Like Any takeaways for your ministry there in San Diego? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So this is sort of the big picture. One of my takeaways was that the the structure, that your structure dictates direction. It's hard to say. So uh, structure dictates direction. And so the model that we live out as the church must be oriented to produce the type of worshipers who please God and be best suited to accomplish the mission of spreading the message and establishing new churches. And so... You know, model. We have a lot of freedom in terms of the model that we take as we approach living out our our faith as the church, as God's people together. But that doesn't mean that that the model that we choose doesn't have um, outcomes. It doesn't have. Um, it doesn't have. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> that, that there aren't consequences. There we go. Okay. So you have the freedom to to take whatever, I shouldn't say whatever, but there's a lot of freedom in, in the approach that you take to your model of church, but your model is going to dictate the direction of that church. And so we should always loop back and say, is the way we're going about living our life as the church producing the type of worshipers who mm-hmm. please God? And is the model that we're that we're following best accomplishing the mission that God has called us to? Mm-hmm. And so there's freedom in the model. And I think Chan makes a really good point that, hey, this isn't advocating for home church versus traditional church. He's just saying that the model that you take is gonna drive the direction of the church. And so we, we need to tie the, the outcome of our model to the model itself. And so if our model is driven where, if it's built around a certain charismatic personality who happens to be a great communicator of, of truth, And most people just show up, and they listen, and they're encouraged, and then they leave. Well, that's a certain model, and there's going to be outcomes of that model. Mm -hmm. And it's probable that that outcome is not going to be the best model for producing the type of worshipers who please God, because it's sort of focused more on um, what we're interested in. So we're encouraged by this message, but if it's not producing um, the kind of disciples who then go out into the world and make a difference in their everyday place, then um, that's something that we should that should cause us to reconsider our our model of church. And I think that's actually the story that Francis Chan experienced in his own life, as he as he shares in the book, because he had that. Yeah,
0: it's really good. Um, I think it actually ties in well with what I got as well for our ministry here. Um, it was in, I think, chapter five, which is called Servants, and it's about being a servant as a leader. Um, but it talks about how people in the congregation usually are not asked a lot of. And um, he then mentions how we overvalue the rich, the beautiful, and the talented in our midst. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, is if we have this one kind of celebrity in quotes, I mean, it's not But if we have this one person that we look to each week as kind of our one model, um, then that kind of puts an overvalue on that person's giftings, whatever that may be. So if your leader is gifted evangelist, then you put a stronger value on that evangelism side of being a follower of Jesus. Um, So I was really uh, struck by that and kind of took a, a harder look at Maybe the things that we have just subconsciously valued in um, in each other here in our local ministry, and then how can we shift that to where we're valuing everyone's giftings equally, um, and and in that not only just valuing but valuing it, but also, um, really nurturing whatever giftings there are so that we're not just oversaturating on a few of the kind of like shiny, sparkly, um, giftings that we like, everybody wants to be cool, um, in those areas. And we underestimate that intercessors and the shepherds and the people that maybe have more beside behind the scenes, um, giftings but that are really really important. So in in that chapter um Chan talks about how he and his leaders of his church um kind of sat down together and talked about people in their church that were not really serving in the church in any way and they didn't just go to them and be like you need to volunteer for blah blah blah. Instead, they prayed over them um which goes back to what you were saying about prayer. And they prayed over them, and then after they did that, that's when they went to them and and encouraged them and told them, you know, how gifted they felt like they were and how they would like to see them using that in the church. Anyway, I thought that was a really cool and inspiring whole section. So.
1: Yeah, one thing that um, that really ties into that, Abigail, is he talks about the problem of consumerism in the modern American church for sure, and that's the idea that that we build church to satisfy the people attending. And then for those of us who, who go out to different Sunday services, oftentimes we're, we're making our decision about which church we're going to get involved in. We're, we're basically church shopping. You probably, people have probably heard that term. And so we go to the church and if we aren't impressed by the music or the, the style of, of how things are run, or if we don't think that the pastor is particularly gifted or dynamic as a communicator of scriptures, then we check out and we go to the next church, and so we're basically we're coming at it completely wrong. Instead of and instead of coming at church by saying, um, "What what would please God, and what should I bring to the body of Christ," we're coming at it from the mindset of a consumer. Well, what do what do I like about this, and is is there enough here that I like that I'm going to commit to it, um, and and like you said, he talks about servanthood quite a bit in this book, and that was the first time I think that I've connected. He basically says that the the antidote to consumerism is um, servant um, servanthood. That if if you don't have the attitude of a servant, you're most likely a consumer when it comes to the way you live and and practice your faith. You're you're coming to your faith for what you can get out of it. Uh, primarily, that's your primary motivation versus coming to the faith based on pleasing God. I, I want to to live my my faith in a way that pleases God, and I want to contribute. I want to serve um, my fellow believers. And so that was a I thought a great insight that if we if we don't develop servants as disciples, ourselves and those in our churches, then you're almost defaulting to consumers because that's the prevailing uh current of our of our culture and capitalism
0: yeah, I mean, this book is so great for people who are doing church in the harvest, like Andrew and I, but honestly, this is a great, great book for people who are um serving I don't like a better word in the traditional church setting and um, this I think gives you great tools to stand on. To continue in that model as well, um, and yet be much more biblical about it, uh, and kind of go against like the current culture of church. Uh, so that, yeah, I was really, really convicted on a lot of these areas. And another one that I didn't even write in my notes, but um, we've talked about before is just this idea of suffering, that we should be suffering as a church. And if we don't have either the intention that we will be suffering in the future or the expectation that it's coming, um, then we're really missing a huge part of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And that was a real gut punch. So mm-hmm. good times. Everybody should read
1: that. <laughs> yeah. So so one of my five key quotes, Abigail, I'm going to go ahead and share it. This is a direct quote from the book because it fits in with several themes that we've been talking about and, and what you just shared on suffering. But uh, he writes, I believe this generation can kill the consumer mindset in the church and replace it with a servant attitude that thrives on suffering for his name. And then he asks, what else would you rather do with your days? Which is just a great great challenge (laughs) question, you know, like, hey, you're going through life, you're gonna live your life. So what would be a higher calling than to develop this servant attitude that thrives on suffering for the name of Jesus instead of having this consumer mindset of what can I get out of this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So in, um, sort of our last big question, sort of what stuck out to you as sort of the biggest thing of either his definition or call to, um, the church at large, whether you are in the harvest places or whether you are in a traditional church, what can we all take away? Um, and my favorite thing, and I have, Anyone who's talked to me about this book, you know that I've quoted this section to you because as a writer, I love it when an author paints like just the perfect um, picture of whatever you know he's trying to get across. And this one is – the title of the chapter was called The Gang, and he paints just the most hilarious and awesome picture of how if you were in a gang, like on the streets, um, you wouldn't go up to another gang member and be like, hey – are you going to gang this week? Like, have you been to gang recently? Um, I'm going to go to gang on Thursday at seven and then I'll be done by eight thirty. Like, or are you going to go to the gang then? You know, like, and it's funny, but also, so it hits right at the core of we as Christians, particularly in the United States have turned our faith into, we've turned it into a 90 minute section of our week. And it's not who we are. It's not our identity um, at all, which is definitely what a gang member. I mean, they are a gang member all the days, all the time. And that's why it's so funny. Um, But it's also really, really convicting, I think. And I think that if we shifted that, and he talks about this quite a lot in the book. um, He talks about how as leaders of church, you know, they'll try it. They're just like racking their brains and, you know, just burning the midnight oil, trying to fit everything of a christian faith into the 90 minutes and like why you know we've got to fit prayer and purity and you know worship and all the things like into this one 90 minute segment and he said you know that's the opposite of what we should be doing because we're missing the point if we're trying to make christianity this bite-sized piece that we just fit in to this tiny portion of our week then we have really missed the point so I just really loved that picture because I think that's a lot of what we're up against all the time is that culture that if it's not going to fit into the segment of my day that I need it to fit into, or even our week, then it doesn't fit my lifestyle. So anyway, it was really good.
1: Yeah, I think so too. He really talks about how identity and commitments, if you look at a gang that really, if you're in a gang, that is your identity and it also defines your commitments and it, it, how much more should it be that way for us as members of the church that our primary identity is that we're part of the family of God? And then it also, our, our commitments are flowing out of that. And like you said, Abigail, those are, those are daily, that, that drives our daily, hourly uh, activities is this identity and these commitments. You know, for, for me, um, he, he uses the story of Cain and Abel as sort of a, a preface for the book. And again, I'm just going to read here. He says, since the beginning of time, there has been worship God loves and worship he rejects. I can't help but think that God is displeased with many of the churches in America. (laughs) It's pretty heavy. So basically, um, I think what he's saying is that the way that we're choosing to worship God maybe looks more like Cain than it does Abel. And it's possible to worship God and yet do it in a way that he rejects. He's not interested. And throughout scriptures, you know, he, he also talks about um, some of the major prophets where they talk about closing, closing the doors and shutting down the festivals because I'm not interested. Um, the, the way that you're going about this, the whole thing is uh, repulsive to me. I reject this worship. Um, so really, letters to the church... Is, is Chan's effort, I think, to address what he sees as major problems that we face in the American church today. And as I read it, I think that you could summarize the two root causes of those, of those problems that we're facing in the church to, uh, to two things. One is that we aren't focused on pleasing God by obeying His commands. So we don't have the right starting point to, to begin with. We're not starting off with an effort to please God. Instead, we structure our churches to satisfy human egos and please human audiences. So it's driven by the celebrity pastor, or even if you're—this can happen in a small home church, too. If, if you're basically running the, the, the church in a way that draws attention to you and satisfies your ego, that's bad. That's bad. Um, or pleasing audiences, because it's still—either way, it's focused on pleasing people. And that's not what the church is about. The church is about— pleasing God. That should be, that should be our core motivation. And so if that's not the starting point, then whatever gets built is probably going to have some major problems. But a second root cause is that we're confused about our mission. So instead of structuring our churches to develop and send many leaders to new places, instead of trying to spin out these leaders from our churches, um, we structure them to collect and coddle as many members as possible in one place. And again, this is kind of—I think this is human nature. This is the Tower of Babel, where we just want to to gather as many of us as we can, and, and we feel safer, and we feel like more is happening because we've got so many people, and we're all together in this one place. But again, that's driven by a confusion about our mission—that that God actually wants us to go to all the nations. He wants us to to go forth and and share his his message and make disciples who can then go out and share and make and share his message and make more disciples. And so so we have freedom to structure our churches in many different ways, but we really need to be thoughtful about our core motivation. are we trying to please God and how we're doing this? Th- th- is this an able offering or is this a Cain offering? And then secondly, does this structure help us best accomplish our mission of raising up mature disciples that we can send out, to to make more disciples and start new churches. And sometimes the structure is our own worst enemy. The structure itself is working against that. So uh, I think that was my big takeaway for church with a capital C.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, I am really excited about you going up to this training. Um, I think the biggest thing I want to happen, like, let me just give me my like wish list. Yeah, I want you to actually get to meet some of his le- leaders that um, have been trained as part of that. Um, yeah, just I guess that movement there, um, mostly because he talks about them quite a bit, and he mentions like we have you know 41 um, leaders who are all working normal jobs and that's like yeah but bi- by bi- vocational um pastors and i just think that's the coolest i, w- I want to hear all about that so i'm very yeah. excited
1: yeah so i don't think i'll meet francis because i think he's out of country yeah. now i think he's, he's actually gone yeah. overseas
0: i think he just left andrew which is kind of funny but <laughs> you it, like missed it, him
1: it may surprise folks i'm i'm like you i'm i actually want to meet his i want to meet his leaders So, I mean, it'd be great to meet Francis Chan. I'm actually more interested in meeting the people that he's developed Mm because I want to see that next generation of of leadership that he has cultivated. And um, we are going to do sort of um, a post. uh, I'm going to go up there this week. And then I think in two weeks or so, we'll have a a show that we have another conversation sort of like this. But we'll be talking about, you know, like you said, what what did I learn from the four days? It's a four-day intensive where you go and you just see how have they structured uh, their life as church there in Mm -hmm. San Francisco um, and how are they making a difference in the everyday places. So I'm excited to learn from other people who are, who are like hearted and who are trying to do the same mission of being in the harvest so that we can be better at what we're doing here locally. uh, But also so that we can share it with our community here on end of the harvest.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I think, um, we can read his book, Francis Jan, and, um, he has a lot of really great points, but I think to me, then the, the important thing is where the rubber meets the road. And so that will just be shown, I think, in his leaders and the people he's kind of raised up. So I'm excited. Stay tuned for that episode in two weeks. Next week, we will have a really cool, um, talk back with Keith and Andrew and myself again um, about discipleship. So stay tuned for that. But thanks for listening to our very first um, Into the Harvest Book Club, I guess is what we're going to call it now. Um, We hope that you enjoyed it. I especially hope that if you haven't read this book, that you'll pick it up, either listen to it on Audible or something, or pick it up at your library or wherever you get books. Um, We hope it kind of got you excited about what it's about. So as always, you can leave us comments, questions, anything else at this episode below on Facebook. And you can also contact us at info at So we can't wait to hear from you. Thanks, Andrew. It was
1: tons of fun. Yeah, Abigail, this was fun. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for being part of our community. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can share it on social media with your friends. Or you can support it directly by visiting our website, intotheharvest.org, clicking on the donate link, and becoming a monthly giving partner. When you do this, you'll receive a thank you package with some great ITH gear. Thank you for supporting the show and helping our small team make a big difference for Jesus. It's listeners like you that make this ministry possible.